This is Ion Foxborough, the premier podcast for all things New England Patriots. Brought to you by Mass Live. Welcome to the Ion Foxborough podcast. I'm Karen Garigian. Today, I'm joined by colleagues Chris Mason and Mark Daniels, and uh, we're thrilled to welcome NFL Network analyst Daniel Jeremiah. Uh, Daniel is the host of the Move the Sticks podcast, along with Bucky Brooks and Rhett Lewis. He is also one of the premier draft experts in the country. Welcome, Daniel. I appreciate you guys having me on. Is it weird to have a top pick like this? I don't know if you guys know how that how that works when you pick this high. Uh, no, we don't know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> new time. It's a new era. I know it. Uh, well, you know, they've had a few way back in the day, but that was a couple of decades ago, you know. Yeah, Will, Willie, Willie I, I worked with Willie for a long time, Willie, so it's been a minute four. since Willie was coming through there. <laughs> Um, you just recently posted your first mock draft. Uh, you have quarterbacks coming off the board one, two, three, including one to the Patriots. Are you basing that on need or because Daniels is that good and deserves to go in that spot? Both. Um, yeah, I, I think he absolutely is that good. Um, to the point where I don't know that he'll be there when, when the Patriots are on the clock. Um, when this is all said and done. So it's, um, it, it, I'll be shocked. I'll be shocked if we don't go quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Normally this time of year, you put together a mock draft and it, I mean, I mean, free agency hasn't happened. Everybody's throwing darts. There's no real confidence in anything that you're putting together at this point in time. But with the way this draft is and who's picking up there, I can't see any of these three teams trading off of the opportunity uh, that's right in front of them to get a quarterback. Chris? Yeah, so you just kind of alluded to it, but how close are Drake May and Jaden Daniels in your um, evaluation, assuming that Williams is like one and then those two are two and three? How, how close are they? Very close um, to the point where I in scouting, we all uh, all my buddies you talk to around the league, we, we kind of use similar verbiage during this time of year in that. You know, you're you're kind of putting players in clusters, and then we use the phrase like a couple times. There's two players that are going to travel together through the process, so they're they're right there. This guy or that guy. There's no. I mean, if you had cards on the on the wall in the old days, now everything's on the computer. But if you had the magnets and you're putting them up there, like Jaden Daniels and Drake May would not be stacked over each other. Their cards would be next to each other, and say, okay, these guys are going to travel as we go through everything in terms of. You know, you know, whether they were in an all-star game, you know, combine, pro days, you know, visits, all that stuff. And then we'll sort that out as we go along. And I guess just is Williams then your consensus one? Is he in that conversation too, or is he a tier above? I have him a tier above uh, right now, but it's not uh, not to say that those other guys couldn't, you know, catch him as you're learning more about these guys through the process. I, I've been told nothing that would uh, that would scare me off of Caleb. Um, but you're always open to the fact that the draft is several months away and there's information to gather and to collect. And as much as the tape is the most important part of the process at that position, you know, there's other things that go into it as well. So, you know, continue to, to get information and learn as you go. But I would say for me, in terms of the tiers, he's in his own tier. And then right below him, I would have the other two. 
I know in, in the NFL draft, I, I don't know if there were many sure things, right? I mean, if there were if there were sure things, maybe you know teams would be a bit better at it. Sometimes there there are dart throws, but when it comes to Drake May and Jaden Daniels, how close mm -hmm. do you believe they are to sure things, to impact guys, to franchise quarterbacks? Well, at that you know at this position, it's become so dependent, and it always has been to a degree, but it just feels like even more so now that the the opportunities these guys are presented are so different in terms of where they can go. And I think they can both grow into being trucks, as I like to call them. When you think about quarterbacks as trucks or trailers, trucks can pull the team along. Trailers need to get pulled by the rest of the roster. It's very, very, very rare. CJ might be a good example of it this year of like he established himself as a truck year one. Um, but for the most part, as you're getting into your career, you're going to be largely dependent on your surroundings and your supporting cast. So I think, I, look, if you tell me right now that these two guys go in a place where they're going to be protected uh, and they're going to have a, a, a real solid play caller and they're going to have at least a couple playmakers around them, I'd feel very confident in saying that both those guys are going to be successful. Uh, it's just hard for it's hard for rookie quarterbacks to be afforded that luxury because normally the teams picking up there at the very top of the draft have a pretty flawed roster. Mm -hmm. You, the Patriots have three pretty glaring needs. Quarterback is one, offensive tackle another, and wide receiver a third. What, Good year for that. I was just going to ask about the depth uh, of those positions in this draft. Absolutely. those. If you're going to say you had three needs in this draft, those are the three needs that you want. Uh, especially if you're positioned to get one of the quarterbacks because you know those guys are going to go. Uh, but tackles, I think we're going to set a record for for first-round offensive tackles this year. I think the record is seven, I want to say. I think we'll have eight uh, first-round tackles uh, when this is all said and done, and that run will continue a little bit on into the second round as well. So it, it's a really, really deep tackle group. And receivers, it's going to be it, – the anomaly is going to be the year where we don't have good receivers because every college is playing with you know four and five wideouts – uh, everybody's chucking the ball, you know, going all the way back to seven on seven and in, in middle school to high school. Like we're just every year we get an influx of talented wide receivers and this year's no different. Sure. I want to ask you a little more about the next tier of quarterbacks too, where um, in some places I've seen Bo Nix, McCarthy and Penix all cluster together, but you have Nix going 14. So yeah, uh, first of all, just like what separates him from those two in that evaluation? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, like I've, Full disclosure, I have I had not when I did that first mock draft, I had not done a ton of work on JJ McCarthy. Actually, it's what I've been doing all morning this morning is going through and watching him. He's a good player. Uh, I think he's got a, a real chance to go in the first round. And I wouldn't rule out Penix, you know, finding his way into the first round as well. I just really like Bo Nix. Um, in terms of, you know, some people will view the 61 starts as a negative. I view it as a positive. Like he's gonna be up and ready to go. He's seen a lot of looks, he's seen a lot of defenses. He can he everything he does is fast. He thinks fast. He's got quick feet. He's got a quick release. Um, I think he's got more arm than people give him credit for. He's not a little guy. He's a 6'2", 225 pound dude um, who's really, really smart, really, really tough. And I like the fact also that he's been through some adversity. Um, you know, Auburn, everybody knows it's documented and not go well there. Uh, but I think the fact that he was able to go through some of that and come out the other side and uh, and play as well as he did and lead Oregon. Uh, I, I like the kind of the whole package of him. The sum you might say is a little greater than the individual parts. JJ McCarthy and looking at him this morning, you know, they don't put a lot on his plate, not a high volume passer. Um, they run the ball a ton, but he has, 
you know, he has a live arm. He can really drive the ball, especially, you know, in the middle of the field. He trusts it and he can put the ball where he wants it. He's a good athlete. I mean, I think there's a chance he's going to run like in the low four fives. You know, he can really move for a quarterback. Um, and he's been on big stages and big moments and big games. So I, I love that about him. I thought, you know, he's kind of one of the grade that I have on him right now is kind of that borderline, you know, second round, first round grade. But there's so many teams with a need at the position that I would imagine he's got a good chance of getting up in there. And then Penix, Penix to me is just in terms of just like the horsepower as an, as an arm, like he has got it. I mean, he has got a huge arm. I want to see him at the senior bowl, which I'll get a chance to see next week. You know, can he, can he touch the ball? Can he layer the ball? Can he get the ball over linebackers, under safeties? I didn't know. I'd have a great feel for that with what I've seen. And then obviously, you know, the injuries have mounted up over his career. And that's really the major concern with him. Um, not so much the age, but the, you know, the health, the durability, the injuries, that's going to be a, a big hurdle for him. And that actually leads me into my question. The quarterback class as a whole, would you consider the the top end generational? And how would you compare this class to previous classes or previous quarterback classes that have come out? Yeah, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say, I don't know that I would say generational. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's really solid. But the, the thing with these is, I, you know, you go through and you try and learn lessons from scouting over the years. And and I feel like there's been certain things you can take away from certain positions that have held true. And it's helped me have a higher batting average, this quarterback thing, man, like it's just, there's years where you think it's great. And then it turns out to be not so great. And then there's years where you've got raw quarterbacks coming into the draft and they turn out to be Patrick Mahomes, you know? So they're there. It's hard. It's hard to say that. And where these guys go is such a big part of that process. But I think there's, I would use the word intrigue. I think it's a really intriguing group of guys um, with a lot of upside. So there's, yeah, there's a chance we could look back five years from now and be like, man, what a heck of a class because the the ceiling with this group is very, very high. You, in your mock draft, you have four of them going in the first round. Um, if, if the Patriots were to surprise a little bit and perhaps take the tackle there, Alt, Mm -hmm. Or Marvin Harrison Jr., could you see them landing a quality quarterback, say, in the second round, or would they have to move even move up? Yeah, I don't see that happening. I I I mean, first of all, like I don't think they'd be able to get back into the range to get to get one. Mm -hmm. Um, it would be difficult. It would be a bold, it would be a bold move if they passed on one there. And you guys being in the market, I'd love to, I'll, I'll flip the script and ask you a question because I was there for the Charger game and I know it was terrible weather. Um, Patriots don't score a point. The stadium's not full. There was no life, no energy. And I used the phrase that offensively it was an unwatchable product. Yeah. And then I sit there and say, you're picking third in the draft where there's three huge upside, exciting quarterbacks. It just felt like of any team, of any of the stadiums I was in last year, it felt like this is the one that needs an influx of some juice. And I just don't know that, you know, trotting out the same group of quarterbacks, even with Marvin Harrison, would provide that. Uh, whereas you have a chance right now, new face of the franchise, you know, Mayo's stepping into this role. Let's like get this thing needs a jolt. And I feel like the only way you get that jolt is if you take a quarterback. But I, I didn't know what your guys' vibe was from, you know, maybe that was just a bad weather day and a bad environment. But I've been in that stadium, uh, you know, a zillion times. I'd never seen anything like that there before. I just think that, well, <laughs> it might be different if if Bill Belichick was still here and had the third pick. <laughs> um, but with a new regime, I, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain, uh, you know, unless they sign a Kirk Cousins, they'll go with quarterback there. Uh, yeah, there. <laughs> that wasn't just the Chargers game. There were a lot of days like that yeah. last year for the yeah. offense where it was just unwatchable is honestly a good way to put it. The, the, the best way I put it is like the cardinal sin in sports. Forget, you know, football, basketball, baseball, anything. You can't be bad and boring. People right. will actually, and, and maybe not in Boston, but in some markets, they will tolerate the losing if it's a fun, watchable product. But like you can't be both bad and boring. And they've been that for a couple of years now where it's yeah. been tough to watch. But this is like a bigger picture question, and it might be a little too abstract, but just how do you characterize this draft as a whole? You know, some drafts are top heavy, some are really deep, some it's like, I don't know, in the top 50, it's like stacked. And then after that, it really falls off. Do you have a feel for like how this draft class is in general in that way? I'll have a better answer for you probably, you know, a couple of weeks from now as I get a chance to add more guys to the list that I've watched. But I would say it feels very top heavy. Um thus far it's not uh and some of that look we only have 50 something juniors that that came out in previous years we've had triple digits so nil's factored into that a lot of these guys have gone back to school and it's not just you know i, th I think some people said no that's going to impact the fifth six seven rounds and i'm like mm, there's gonna be guys day two like you're gonna be sitting there in the third round and go holy crud that guy went in the third round um because i do think it falls off and i think this is that one in between year where if this is going to be the new normal, um, you know, I think next year, obviously you get the influx of all the guys that we thought would come out this year. So then I think you have a full class next year and previous years, you have the huge number of juniors. I think this is kind of that in-between year where I just, I don't think it's going to be a very deep draft. Karen, Karen alluded to this, like if, if Bill Belichick was running the Patriots, they, they probably handled the draft differently. So <clears throat> say hypothetically, they, they give you the GM job and, and the option they say to you, all right, we could sign a Kirk Cousins, a Baker Mayfield, and then draft a Marvin Harrison Jr. Or we try to sign one of these free agent wide receivers, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, Mike Evans, and then go for go for the quarterback. If, if you were in charge of the Patriots, which which direction would you go in? I would go young quarterback, veteran receiver. Um, I think those veteran receivers really, really benefit and help a young quarterback. And I just would feel like, man, I don't want to be back here two years from now. We're still in the we're in the same exact spot. Maybe I get two years out of Kirk Cousins, and that's great. But then we start all over again. Um, I, I just I wouldn't want to do that, and I don't think there's any guarantee that you're going to be picking in this position where there's quality players at the position staring you in the face. So yeah, I, I think the opportunity you know the opportunity cost to pass on one is too large. Um, and you, if you're a GM, your job should be to think long term best interest of the organization coaches can be thinking a little different worried about tomorrow's practice but as a general manager you've got to be able to set the course for you know hopefully a decade plus i think you got to take your swing do you do you see the bears definitely taking caleb there and or perhaps i mean what happens to justin fields do they trade him in this draft do or i mean and if somewhere to one were to get Justin Fields, what are they getting? I would be, I mean, look, this legal surprises all, all the time, but I would be shocked. They uh, didn't take Caleb Williams. Uh, I, I just expect that's what they would do. Uh, take him with the first pick and then Justin Fields would get traded. You know, the, the question on the timing of the trade, I mean, that could go uh, a couple different ways. I would imagine once they get to the point where they know enough uh, about Caleb Williams, where they've done enough of their homework and probably got a chance to spend time with him. Um, I, I wouldn't want to 
make that trade of Justin Fields until I've got a chance to really get comfortable with Caleb. But once that happens, I, I, you know, I would assume that that's when that trade would take place with Justin, you know, what they get for him. Most people around the league seem to think it'll be, a, you know, a two and change. Maybe you can get a one from somebody, but the money's getting ready to, you know, it's getting ready to jump on him. So that's got to be factored into it. And I think that kind of limits what you would get back in return. What does Caleb have over Justin? Another first round. Yeah. He's he's he everything he does is easier. Like um Justin's, you know, Justin's a really good athlete, as everybody knows, and Justin's got a live arm. Caleb does is a more natural thrower. He can make more types of throws than Justin can make every type of trajectory, any arm angle. He just he's got a unique ability to do that stuff. He's more creative, um, even as a playmaker, as a passer. Uh, that way and then I there's there's a lot more examples even though he got into some bad habits this year you can see Caleb I think he he just sees the field better uh, than Justin sees the field lastly from me if you were to guess one team that might make the move to the top for Caleb what team would that be I you know the one I would uh, it's hard to say. I would say the Giants would be one that I would uh, I would keep an eye on. I know they committed to Daniel Jones, but I don't I don't want to use the you know buyer's remorse there. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that they would view this as a you know as a group that came from Buffalo with Josh Allen and all the things that Josh Allen could do. Um, I would think Caleb Williams would kind of spark a little bit of that thought in their head of like, oh man, there's not you know we can't give up too much to go up and try and get a guy like that if we are in striking distance. Mm-hmm. Good. How many uh, free agents did the Red Sox sign during this interview? What, five, six? <laughs> yeah. Real, real I mean, at least money. as a Padre fan, I've got an excuse. Like, we just flat out ran out of money. But, I mean, you guys should be flush with cash. Why don't they spend any of it? I don't understand it. They're acting like a small market team. And that's the way they've gone the last few years. So. I don't understand it. It's weird. Baseball, they they- I can't figure it out. They said they can sell the Fenway experience. Why do you need players? Why do you need a good team if people are going to come for the Fenway experience no matter what? It's brutal. Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. Yeah, it's going to be hard to spend that money. Yeah. Well, you guys can root for Xander. Just That's fine. You guys can adopt the Padres. That's true. Well, I love San Diego. Yeah, I'm game. The Patriots (laughs) have a lot of money to spend. We're we're very curious how they're going to spend it because obviously you got to be careful with how they say that though. After what the Sox said, right? You don't want to you don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. That's right. (laughs) All right, good to catch up with you guys. Hope you guys have a great week. Thanks a lot, Daniel. Appreciate it. Thank you. This has been Ion Foxborough. Brought to you by Mass Live.